Before we jump into our regularly scheduled broadcast, I've been asked about study Bibles, so I wanted to let you know about the study Bibles that I like. Now, first thing is you got to decide which translation that you want to use. Um, there, there's the new, these are the ones that I probably would go with, okay? The NIV, the New American Standard Version, the English Standard Version, that's the ESV. So the NIV, the NASB, the ESV. I really like the Amplified. That's one of my favorite translations, but there aren't any study Bibles. There, there might be, but none that I, I like so much that I would recommend. So I'm just talking about study Bibles. So you have to choose your translation first, and that, that would be NIV, NASB, ESV, or NKJV. So depending on which translation you want to go with, if you're just starting out, NIV might be really good. Um, and so here are the study Bibles that I would recommend, right, depending upon which translation you go with. Um, if you're looking for a good, like, background Bible study that's got a lot more historicity, a lot more information, you could go with the NIV Cultural Background Study Bible. I've given that one out to several people. I use it. I've actually subscribed to BibleGateway.com, and you can use all the study Bibles if you want to pay 40 bucks a year. It's up to you. But I think that one's pretty good. Um, if you're also, if you're starting out, I would go with maybe the NIV First Century Study Bible. It's what I bought my son. Uh, my youngest son, and uh, and I really like that study Bible. It doesn't have as much information as others. Uh, it's also a lot more affordable. If you want to go with kind of a basic sort of margin study Bible that has just, I would say, more general reference notes, I would go with the classic NIV study Bible. That's all it is. If you want to go with something that's more theological, you could go with the NIV Zondervan study Bible. D.A. Carson was the editor, so it's a lot of what I would consider more theological reference notes. Um, I actually have, this is my Bible. Uh, you can see that it's really torn up. I need to get it rebound. I, I have the keyword study Bible. So if you're interested in looking up uh, having a, a really robust concordance, also Greek and Hebrew word studies, if you're interested in any of that, it has all the verbs labeled in a numbering system where you can go to the back and you can look at those verbs as Greek and Hebrew original language words. And when you look at those, it kind of, it, it, it's, it's sort of um, kind of like the Amplified. It, it, it explains more about what those original words mean. And they do so in context. So you don't have to be a scholar in Greek and Hebrew. They break it down for you. And they, they help you understand the different tenses and all of that. They have a really good layout in the back here for you. So that's a keyword study Bible. You can get that in NIV and NASB. I prefer the New American Standard Version. Some like the ESV, but that's the version that I've always used. I, My understanding from studying the translations, the best that I know how, is that the New American Standard, the 1995 version, is probably the most accurate. Now, you could say the ESV is right alongside it. Probably true. Um, New King James, there's evidence that shows us that's probably not as accurate as the New American Standard or the ESV. Some people are diehard King James, NKJV. I don't really care. They're, they're all word-for-word -word translations, those ones. But if you're going to go with the New American Standard, you can go with the Zondervan Study Bible. Um, there's a new one out right now. I haven't looked at it. It's called the Inductive Study Bible, but it's got an incredible amount of reviews on it online. And uh, if you want to go with the NKJV, the Spirit-Filled Life Bible. So if you're interested in any of that information, I, I would be glad to send that to you. I'm not much of a King James fan, to be quite honest with you. I could, I could give you a lot of reasons why. In fact, I got a whole class um, on how to study the Bible using the inductive Bible study method. And I have one class just on translations. One, one season of my life, I just did a, a big study on how to study the Bible, where the Bible came from. In fact, here's what I would say to you. I have a book that I want everybody to read, okay? If you do not know where the Bible came from, if I asked you, where did the Bible come from? How was it compiled? And your answer is the Holy Spirit. I get, I get what you're saying, but naturally speaking, when did these events occur? How did the Bible get compiled? Who was involved in that? If you do not know the answer to that question and you're a Bible-believing Christian, I strongly recommend that you read this book. This is the simplest book. Now, there are other books I would recommend if you're interested in five to 800 page long reference books, but this one right here, this is called How We Got the Bible, and this is written by Neil Lightfoot. It's an easy read, 
and this is really important information. And it's it's a breakdown of where the Bible came from, how it was compiled, and why it's trustworthy. Okay, so please, please, if you listen to Pastor Ben at all, and you love the Bible, and you want other people to understand the Bible, and you're going to get questioned on this in this generation. People are going to question Christians more than ever, in my opinion, not just on apologetics, but why we believe the Bible is true. And we need to have better answers than we used to have. And I think that when we get the right information, that's 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 the best book, in my opinion, in the shortest uh, in the shortest read. So please, it's like 10 bucks. If you do not have the money, I will buy the book for you. I know I'm saying that to a lot of people right now, but if you don't have the money, if you don't have $10, I will literally get this book for you. If you do have $10, please buy the book, read it more than once. It will be very helpful. Um, I don't have as much educational background as some of my friends and counterparts, but what I do have is I have a lot of books that I have read. And I'm telling you, you can go to seminary, you can go to seminary for years and years and still not have this information because it's got to be a conviction of our life. So I strongly recommend that you put the time in uh, to getting that. Now, don't just get the book, got to read it too, okay? God bless you guys. Listen, welcome to the Daily Word. I spent about 10 minutes talking to you about Bible translations and study Bibles because I can't help myself, okay? We got to get in the Word, know the Word, study the Word, be all about the Word. God bless you guys this morning. If you don't know who I am, my name is Ben Dixon, and I serve as the lead pastor of Northwest Church. I'm the director of Ignite Global Ministries, and every day, Monday through Friday at 8 a.m., we do what's called the Daily Word. We are going through the Bible in one year, the Old Testament once, the New Testament twice. We are following the OSL Operation Solid Lives reading plan. Several of you that are tuning in are from Northwest Church. God bless you, family. Love you guys. Thank you for tuning in. This will go for about 30 minutes from this point forward. We are today going to be looking at Joshua chapter 4 through 6, and we are maybe going to look at Ephesians 2. Now, you know, if you're following the plan, you're supposed to also read Psalm 71 and Mark 16, but I'm going to tell you something. Today, I did not do that. I'm feeling a little saucy today. It's going to come out. I can't help it. It's going to happen. But I did not read Psalm 71 and Mark 16, and you want to know why? I spent more than an hour in the Word this morning, not to get anything from you, but I'm just letting you know. I spent more than an hour in the Word. I wrote out two full pages of notes easily, meditated on some scriptures, prayed some stuff out, and I couldn't even touch Psalm 71 and Mark 16, and I barely touched Ephesians 2. I just want to let you know what's going on in my world today. But that's the reality, okay? So sometimes it's, it's not about checking boxes. It's about reading the Word of God, okay? So I'm going to practice what I preach and preach what I practice. We have, these, uh, we have these scriptures marked out in our Bible reading plan, but I don't always get to everything on there because you can't, you know? So you just, if you get into the Word and it touches your heart, I just stay in that lane. That's what I do. So we're going to do that today. We're going to stay in the Old Testament because I feel like it's easy just to go to the New Testament. So we're going to stay in the Old Testament in our study time together. So let's go ahead and pray as we open God's Word. Thank you for joining me. It's always a privilege to do this in the morning together. So let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your Word. And we're grateful for who you are. We're grateful for what you do in our lives. Today, we just put our heart in front of you and we ask you, Lord, to give us conviction about what we read. We ask you, Lord, to give us grace. As we read, we ask for grace to live it out. Lord, I pray for me and for my friends that, Lord, we would be a people that not only study your word, but seek to live out your word. And in so doing, we would find the truth of it. Your word can't be fully understood simply by reading it and studying it. We have to embody it. And so, God, we ask for that grace to just follow through with the words that we read. Holy Spirit, would you fill us today? Would you give us insight and revelation? And also, Lord, help us to have eyes that are open and ears that are open, not only now, but throughout our day. We want to continue to hear you. We want to pray without ceasing. And we thank you for all that you're doing. Bless this time together, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. If you're with us, uh, joining with us right now today, we're looking at Joshua chapter 4, and I'm going to read verse 1 through 7 from my study Bible, and here's what the Word of God says. Joshua chapter 4, verse 1. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, 
one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests stood, and to carry them over with you. Put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and he said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Verse 8, I'll just read that as well. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. Don't you wish that that was just a verse for all of our families, for our children? <laughs> they did what their parents commanded them. I'm sorry, that's just what I was thinking right there. Probably has nothing to do with this passage. Something that's important for us to bring back into the context here. We know that Joshua had succeeded Moses in leadership. He had sent spies into across the River Jordan and into Jericho. They had already spied out Jericho. They came back with a report. They told Joshua and the leadership about what they were about to encounter as they were going to go cross the Jordan River and, and really just come against Jericho as the first battle of many, of many battles they were about to face in dispossessing the people in the land of Canaan, the promised land, their inheritance. We also read in, in chapter 3 where the Israelites actually did cross over and we're still in that place as they have crossed over and now they're all on the other side. Now we read in Joshua chapter 4 that Joshua says, I want you to actually in the, and have the priest go back into literally the middle of the Jordan River and I want you to take 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel and they're going to bring them back with them to Gilgal, and they're going to set up a memorial, so to speak. And I wanted to tell you what a memorial is because I'm a big definitions person when it comes to words. That's very important that we know what words mean, and I, I don't assume it. I just want to make sure we know. A memorial is a memento or a keepsake that commemorates a past event. It keeps remembrance alive. We obviously know, if you've ever been to Washington, D.C., there are a lot of monuments that keep remembrance alive, things that we've built in order to point to an event in the past. Well, now Joshua tells the Israelites here, Joshua 4, 1 through 8, to build a memorial that testifies to what God had done. God had brought them 40 years through the wilderness. He brought them to the River Jordan. They crossed the Jordan River on dry ground. And now he says, I want you to go back and the water stopped, take these 12 stones. Remember, listen to this, in the middle of the river, I want you to take them from the middle. Like this is totally supernatural that these stones came from a place that you could not get these stones from had not there been some type of miraculous event. I want you to go and get these stones and they take them back to Gilgal. They set up a memorial and this will serve as a sign to Israel and also their children. And don't you love how God is constantly not only mindful himself, but he's reminding us to be mindful, the people of Israel here. But also I think this could be for us as well. God is constantly instructing his people to be mindful that their children hear the stories of what they didn't experience. And there are a lot of things that us as parents, if you're parents, or maybe you're just, you're, you're older and, and even if you don't have kids, maybe those around you, we go through things, we walk through situations, we see the mighty hand of God and we're not always mindful of sharing the testimony, but God actually instituted ways of reminding the next generation of what he had done. And there are reasons why testimonies are so important. We'll talk a little bit about that uh, today. But I just love how God's heart is always reminding us, instructing us to pass on what we know, but also what we have seen and what we have heard and experienced of the hand of God so that they too would be able to taste of the testimony and believe God for themselves, that the words aren't necessarily all that God wanted to pass on. It's just the instruction, but it's also the story. It's also the testimony. It's also the power of what he has done. And so I had a question today. Do we tell our children of what God has done for us? Have you told your children what God has done for you? 
What are the memorials that you've set up in your life? Maybe it's just a testimony that you've told again and again, and it becomes that living memorial in your life that comes. It's the, it's the fruit of your past, of what God has delivered you from or what he's brought you through, your 12 stones as it were. Now, I'm, I know I'm extrapolating a, a principle rather than looking at it as just an event, but I think part of that is the point of why God wanted them to set these types of things up. I find this to be so powerful how are you sharing? Am I sharing what God has done? I remember when I started traveling and ministering abroad all over the nation and sometimes internationally, and I would come back and my kids, in a sense, were sharing their dad. They were allowing me to go for some, sometimes three days, sometimes a week, sometimes two weeks at a time to minister. And we, we've always told our kids that if I'm not able to make a baseball game or if I'm not able to do something, I'm always all about serving and loving and being with my children just as my wife is. But if I'm not going to be there, there's one reason. It's not because I'm hanging out with my friends. It's not because I'm shooting pool at night. It's because we're serving the Lord. And I want my kids to know that there's only one reason why I'm going to miss something in their life. And that's because we're serving the Lord. And so when I got back from my travels, even when my daughter was really young, she used to always ask me, dad, what did God do? She expected that her dad would come back with living testimony of what Jesus Christ has done. She couldn't even imagine why I would go on a trip anywhere in the world or in the nation and serve the Lord among his people, whether that was a church service, a conference, a seminar, an outreach, or a mission trip. She couldn't even imagine that I would go and be gone that long and not come back with some kind of living testimony. That literally, she wanted me to bring back that stone, that remembrance stone. She drew it out of me. She expected it. And I love that when I would tuck my daughter in and this was her expectation. Dad, tell me what God has done. And I think we, before our children, you know, before they ask of us like that, I think we need to build it into the way that we are, the things that we say, what comes out of our life, what comes out of our mouth. There might even be things that we do, like God told the Israelites, that we have in our homes, we have around our homes, we have in our lives that people can ask questions about. I love that. I had a, one of the things that I did, and I wanted to share this with you, is I have in my desk right here, to my to my left, to your right, I have a, a drawer that has some things in it. And they're mementos, they're keepsakes. And, and some of them are basically of the deliverance of other people as I've ministered. I've kept some things over the years to remind me of moments that God has delivered someone. And I've shown my church this before, but this is this is a pack of really long, nasty razor blades. And I remember there was a, a young lady who was getting ready. She went and bought these and she had been struggling with a spirit of suicide. And she bought these to kill herself, to slit her wrists and let it be done. And she had struggled with the idea of suicide for quite some time, but she actually planned it out and she went and purchased what she needed to get the job done. Well, that day, somehow I interacted with her. I don't exactly remember how all this happened. I believe it was at the hand of someone else as well. There was a, a mediator that helped this transaction happen. Not a transaction, but this encounter. While I was sitting with this person, I asked them what was in their pocket. I don't even remember why. I just said, what's in your pocket? And they looked at me like they saw a ghost. I said, what's in your pocket? And they pulled this out of their pocket. And I put my hand out. I said, I need that. Give me that. And they reluctantly put this into my hands. And as we prayed, that spirit of suicide, that spirit of death just broke over their life. And the Lord had me keep this. Now, I didn't think I actually still had this, but one day I was praying and he reminded me that there were these things in my drawer that I had kept. And that was one of them. To me, that was a memento of the deliverance of the Lord, not necessarily in my life, but around my life. And I have several other things like that. When I traveled to nations, I wanted to always get a flag, what represented that trip, that travel, what God had done on that trip. And I have many memories and I want to tell my kids, we want to bring the testimony of the Lord alive again and again and again. Why? Because it speaks of God doing it again. Testimony has this implicit, this, this innate seed inside of that story that says God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will do it again. When Joshua led the people through the river Jordan and they're on the onset of their first battle to inherit the promised land, God does this, set up a memorial of how far I've brought you and that I brought you through just like in Exodus 14. I brought the people out of Egypt and slavery into the wilderness 
I brought them through on dry ground. They set up a memorial. I brought you through the wilderness into the promised land, set up a memorial as I brought you through the river Jordan on dry ground. God can consistently and continually delivers us, heals us, moves in our lives. And he wants us to bring that to remembrance. He wants us to do that. Why? Because it echoes into our children in the next generation, causing them to rise up and believe God. One of the things I'm going to do for our night gatherings in the future is I want to do basically just a whole series, as it were, we're calling it series, but I want to do a series of talks and focuses and also just times of prayer that I'm calling Do It Again. It's just going to be the series that that I'll name it Do It Again. And it's uh, basically revival stories. I want to tell revival stories of the history uh, of our past in history and just remind us of what God has done in times past that we can believe that God will do it again. Just in my mind, I was praying about it and I'm supposed to focus in the weeks, not right now we're doing evangelism, but in the weeks to come, I'm going to call that series Do It Again. And I'm just going to focus on one revival story after another to stir something inside of us for God to continue to do what he has always done. Do we tell our children what God has done for us? Do we tell people around us what God has done for us? Bringing to remembrance the testimony. God told them that they were to pass this on to their kids. Now, I wanted to read Joshua 4, 20 to 24. I think this is really important as we're looking at this. And here's what it says, uh, verse, verse 19. Well, I'll just say on verse 19. On the 10th day of the first month, the people went from Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones that had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their fathers, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan from before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan just what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until he had crossed, until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. God tells Joshua what to tell their children. I, I love this. Here is the testimony that you are to pass on. You don't even have to figure out the words, the terminology. Here's what you're supposed to say, and here's why. Because it, it brings about the living testimony of what has been done in the past, and people around will see the powerful hand of God, and you will fear the Lord. This is what the Lord has done. That's extremely, extremely uh, powerful. Now, Joshua chapter 5, what we read from Joshua 5, 1 through 9, the people of Israel are camped at Gilgal, the Lord required Joshua to circumcise the men, saying that this would remove the reproach of Egypt. Now, remember, those that are going into the promised land is a new generation. It is not the same generation that came out of slavery and into the wilderness. It says they all died except for Joshua and Caleb. So now here's this new generation. They had not been circumcised. This was a, to me, this was a sign of holiness. God was separating his people. And this was one of the ways that he did that was circumcision. Without going into that, we obviously understand. He says here in Joshua chapter 5, verse 10, just a select passage I want to read to you. I think this is really, really powerful. This is what it says. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain, and the manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites. But that year they ate the produce of Canaan. Why am I bringing this up? This is why. At this point, the nation of Israel, believe it or not, were still receiving manna. Now there's a lot of chapters and verses that have gone by. And we have taken this for granted. If you followed the story of the Israelites throughout the wilderness, Sometimes you forget that every single day they're still receiving manna from heaven. God is still providing food for them in this supernatural way. And it wasn't until they crossed the Jordan River and they are embarking onto their inheritance, the promised land. They observe Passover in the promised land, well, the onset of the promised land for the first time. And it was on that day that they were able to eat the food, the fruit of the land, and the, and the manna stopped. 
And this is what I wrote. Sometimes the flow or the provision of God may stop in one way because he intends to do something new. And here was the word that I had. I'm totally just bringing this off the page into our modern day. I had a sense that God is doing something new in some of our lives, but we are longing for the way that it was. The manna stopped so that they could eat the produce of where they were going. They could have what the people of God carried as a prophecy, now living in the fulfillment. Sometimes we long for the future and the prophetic fulfillment of what God has told us is coming. But when we enter into the promise, we, for some reason, long for the provision of the past. We still want God to do the familiar because the familiar is something that we've become accustomed to. Even though God might be promoting us, he might be upgrading us, and it requires us great faith to enter into that promise. By the way, we live a life of faith. In order for us to continue in this road of following God and following Jesus, if we're going to do that, it's going to require faith on our part. It's also going to require us letting go of things that were so that we can apprehend things that are. If we're going to live in prophetic fulfillment, if we're going to apprehend what God has for us in this new season, we cannot long for the ways of the past. It does not mean that the ways of the past were bad. They kept us alive. Those things were good for us. Those things were good to us. That's what God had done. That's what God was doing. All of it was good. It's the foundation that we're built on. But to long for the ways of the past is to become blind to the prophetic fulfillment of the future. And this actually is one of the perils of God's people. Is and, and I would say to you like this, denominationalism is one of those things. I'm not against denominations. I'm, I'm a part of a denomination, and I'm grateful for our leaders and all of that. I have no problem with that. But my point is, is that sometimes we have denominations, churches, church structures. They are built on the traditions of the past, and you can literally put a bookmark in the future and further development of God's people and how it is that they're going to make an impact in today's world, you can put a bookmark in their story when they are unwilling to let go of the ways of the past. They, we still want the manna. I still want the manna and I want the prophetic fulfillment. That's not how it works. We've got to enter into unknown territory where it requires God's navigational system, which is, by the way, the voice of the Holy Spirit. We have the word of God, which gives us the parameters, which gives us the promises, which gives us a directives. But the Holy Spirit specifically is guiding us into new territory and giving us navigational ability. And you can see they carried a prophetic word for years about this promised land, and now they're entering into this place. And I just had this word that in order for us to eat of the new, we have to be willing to let go of the old. And I believe that's a word for many of us today. And it's something for us to consider. The manna stopped. Now we also read after this moment in uh, verse 13, there's this encounter that Joshua has that uh, I want to just highlight today. And this is what it says, Joshua 5, 13. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? And I love this response. Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence, and he asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now, don't stop there, because the message that, that the commander of the Lord's army gives to him is actually found in the beginning of Joshua 6. Now, a lot of these chapters and headings, they weren't added into the Bible until much later, I believe the 1500s, which if you read the book, How We Got the Bible, you'll know that. Somewhere 1550, something like that, is when the Bible was given chapters and verses. It wasn't written that way. So the message that the commander of the Lord's army gives him, we're going to read here in verse 1 of chapter 6. It goes right over. Now, Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Now, listen, here's the message. Then the Lord said to Joshua, notice it says the Lord said. Now, many scholars believe that this man with the drawn sword was, was a theophany. A theophany is 
is a revelation of God revealed in a human body, as revealed as a human being. Now, this happens also in Genesis chapter 18. There are several other places. Sometimes we say it's a Christophany, which is a revelation of the pre-incarnate Christ in a human body. Either way, it's a revelation of the Lord, which is why it reads, The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its kings and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in the front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up every man straight in. Now, I love this. Okay, here's the deal. Number one. When Joshua encounters the captain of the Lord's army, we believe the Lord in some revelation of who, of who he is, he says, are you for us or against us? And he says, neither. See, that's the thing is, is that um, Joshua did not know who this was, but once he did know who it was, he, he had the right response. He fell down face first. We're not asking if God's on our side, we are on God's side. So the real thing for us is always to ask, Lord, what are you doing and how can I join what you're doing? That's our life. That's what our life is all about. Our, our life is not about trying to accomplish what we want. Our life is saying, God, what is your will and how can we do what you're doing? That's why we see Joshua have the right response when he falls down on his face and says, what message do you have. And the Lord speaks to him and gives him a battle plan in order to conquer Jericho. To me, if you consider the plan, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I've read a lot of stuff on symbology, the seven, the six, and how all this works. I don't really know. I'm just going to make it real simple for us today. The angel of the Lord gives Joshua this very specific plan. I want you to march around the city. I want you to march around the city with the Ark of the Covenant. I want the priests to go before. I want them to carry the ram's horns. And then I want them to give this blast. When they do this, there's something they do every day. And there's something they do on the sixth and the seventh day. On the seventh day, when they do this, I want them to blast the horn. Then the people shall scream, yell, shout against the wall and the wall will collapse. Think about that for a moment. Naturally speaking, this just simply does not make sense. I don't know about you. But I read this and I go, that doesn't sound like the kind of plan that I'm looking for. I'm thinking lightning. I'm thinking thunder. I'm thinking fire come down from heaven. But you want me to shout at a wall. By the way, the wall of Jericho is anywhere from 12 to 20 feet thick. I know that sounds ridiculous, but the way that they had to make a wall, okay, just what they had to work with back then in comparison to what we have and the way that we pour concrete and the way we do these things, their wall was so thick, it's just unimaginable that something like this could even happen, that people could shout. I've actually read scholars talk about how a certain shout from a certain amount of people could reverberate. Listen, I don't believe that for a second. I believe that God gave a plan that in its fulfillment could only be that God would do something. It says the wall fell down flat. That is not naturally something that can actually happen. And we're always trying to naturalize what God is doing in his word. And I believe it's uh, something that harms us in the end. The principle of seeing strongholds come down, whether they are natural or spiritual, is obedience to what God has said. To me, this is the key of this story. It's obedience. And this actually was what God wanted to teach Joshua and the nation of Israel from the time they entered the wilderness to the time they entered the promised land. And, and forth and ongoing from this day forward. This was God's principle. All you have to do is hear my voice and obey what I said. It is that simple. And here was, I, I would say the same thing to us today. What we have to do is hear the voice of God and obey the voice of God. When we obey what God's, God says in our life, we will experience the fruit of God in our life. This is what we desire. This is what we want. We want the will of God to be accomplished in our lives. But the will of God is accomplished when we obey the voice of God in our lives. And this is what we read about in here. Time and time again, you see these crazy things throughout the wilderness and now in the promised land. 
God says in Exodus 14 to Moses, 13, 14, he says to him, I want you to take your staff and put it over the Red Sea. That's just silly. Put your staff over the Red Sea. Gives him a point of obedience. He speaks to him, gives him a commission of obedience. Moses does it and the Red Sea just it raises up on both sides and the people walk across on dry land. This is not rocket science. This is not complicated. Our walk with God is not complicated. But here's the deal. The conflict within, we have to settle right now. And and one of the beautiful things about having a devotional together, one of the beautiful things about having these moments together today is that we can encourage each other. We can provoke each other to love and to good deeds, to really hear the voice of God in our lives and say yes before we're ever presented with that opportunity. Today, right now, when we pray, we have to lock it in. God, I will obey you. Even if the plan doesn't make sense. To me, they're screaming at a wall. They're blowing the trumpet, the, the ram's horn. They're blowing the trumpets. They're, they're worshiping around the wall. I don't even know. Can you imagine what this scene looked like? I mean, they're worshiping around this wall. People are seeing this happen. We know that the Bible actually tells us the people in Jericho, their hearts are melting with fear because they've heard the report. They've heard the testimony of Yahweh and what he's done for the Israelites. As they're worshiping around the wall, and the plan is to scream at the wall and it's going to come down. And it does. The principle of seeing strongholds come down in the natural and spiritually speaking, those things that are internal is obeying the voice of God. We may know our problems, but what we need to know more than our problems is what God is saying. What is God saying about the problems, the strongholds, the situations that we're facing? That we need to know. Now, hey, here's the deal. I don't have time to get into Ephesians chapter 2. I certainly want to, I'll tell you that much, but I would have to go for another hour. Ephesians 2 is super rich, and there's a lot really that's going on there. But I did pray this morning, and I had some pictures that I wanted to share with you, and I think they're actually in keeping with what we're reading today. And here's the first picture that I saw as I was praying before we went live. I saw a picture of someone shackled at their feet. Now listen closely to this. Jesus was bent over, picking the lock, and the person was impatient, waiting to rush out into their freedom. Can you see this scene? In your mind, I want you to picture this. This person is sitting on something and they're shackled at their feet. They're locked up, bound up by shackles. Jesus is bent over and he's picking the lock and he's about to bring about freedom in their life. This person is impatient, waiting. Give me free, give me free, give me free. They're just waiting for Jesus to pick the lock and bring freedom so that they can run out into their freedom. But this is what I sensed, was that Jesus was not merely picking the lock, but he was actually seeking to show them how to pick the lock themselves. Jesus was bringing freedom, but he was bringing wisdom in order for this person to stay free. It's one battle to get free, that's deliverance. It's another battle to stay free, and that's that to me is discipleship. Jesus does not merely want to offer us freedom. He wants to teach us the wisdom as spirit-filled believers so that we can stay free. This is so vital. This is so important. Listen to, listen to me. You may have a stronghold in your life, and the reason that things become cyclical is because we're interested in the freedom, but we're not interested in us learning the way of freedom. We just want to get free. And that's what I saw. This person was so impatient. I just want to get free. Lord, give me free, give me free, give me free. And when they broke free, they just ran out in their freedom, not realizing that those shackles will come back. Those shackles will come back. There, there will come times, opportunities, experiences that will try to reshackle us to the things of the past. And what God was saying, I believe through this vision, is that I want to give you a new wisdom so that freedom is not just your current state or the reality that you have today, but it is your future inheritance that you stay free. This is powerful. And I, I want to pray this wisdom to retain our freedom over our lives today, that we don't go back to the former things of our life, that we only move forward. And isn't that profound as we read the story of God's people moving into their inheritance after such a long time? God was trying to free their minds from what they had learned and how they had been enslaved, a slavery mindset to a sonship mindset, a mindset where they could literally live as the children of God. Take off your sandals for where you are standing is holy ground. 
Everywhere that we are standing with the Lord is holy ground. We are walking with a holy God who has set us apart in Jesus so that we could walk with him and look like him. And he wants us to be people that are walking in his freedom that he paid a price for. Jesus wants to teach us that freedom, that as spirit-filled followers of Christ, that you and I could retain what Jesus paid such a high price for. See, listen, if he, if, if he didn't, if he wanted just to give us freedom and we never went back to anything in this life, we have, but if he never wanted us to struggle again, he could, he could do that just like that. But the reason that he continues to allow temptations in our life is so that he can teach us the wisdom of the way forward. And this we also have to be excited about. This we also have to understand its value and its importance. And I want to share my heart with you about that. And I, I believe that vision is for someone today, that God is going to teach you wisdom. The second vision that I had was a picture of someone, um, and you were standing there, and there was a there was a there was a big hand on your shoulder, and you didn't you didn't know it was there. In fact, you'd been standing in this place a long time, and so here's this hand on your shoulder, and you couldn't feel it. It, it, it you'd been accustomed to it, but then all of a sudden, you began to move forward. And as you move forward, you felt that pull on your shoulder. You, you could not feel that there was a stronghold in your life until you began to make progress and take steps and move forward. You never realize how strong your stronghold is until you begin to take the steps that God's marked out for you. And here's what, here's what I wanted to say. Some of us are about to take steps or have been taking steps in the Lord. And maybe there's a sense of like, I should be past this or... I'm beyond this or whatever, none of that makes sense, right? Here's what makes sense is that God not only has freedom for us, but God has future for us to serve him and to glorify the name of Jesus. And we may not realize that we're bound by anything, whether it be fear, anxiety, whether it be laziness, reluctance, hesitancy, or any other kind of sin, um, or just something that plagues our soul or whatever it might be, whether it's a sin or, or, or just an issue, we may not realize that there's a stronghold there until we take steps. There are a lot of people that think they're free, but they're not taking any steps. When they start to take those steps, they go, what the heck is that? Because all of a sudden you realize something's got you. Well, it always had you, right? But without forward progress, we just don't, we're not aware of it. God is going to bring us some awareness in this season to the things that have bound us so that he can bring a new level of freedom. And as a result of that freedom, and our faithfulness to even though it's hard to take those steps, there will be a new level of fruitfulness. God will bring fruit in our lives in this season because we're going to be unbound from the shackles of the past and the strongholds of the past. We can shrug off those things that have held us captive. We do not have to listen to those voices. We do not have to be bound by those holds. But it's time to break away and be set free in the name of Jesus and move forward. Whatever those things are for us in our life, it could be fear. It could be, you know, for years and years, I have heard so many people talk to me about how they're not evangelists. Whenever I share on evangelism, which I'm, I'm going to do tonight at the, at the Ignite Gathering, the lowest number of class participants that I have ever had in my entire life is always around the issue of evangelism. And it's no wonder. It's one of the biggest strongholds that we have is people will show up for prophecy and for hearing God and all of that, but they don't show up for evangelism. Let's break the power of this in our lives and say, we may not be evangelists, but all of us can share the testimony of the Lord. The next generation will not get our testimony. They will not hear the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ unless we somehow get free from our fear. We somehow get free from whatever we might think. Look at God's servants in the past. Moses thinking, I'm a stutterer. I, gotta, I have a stuttering. I have a speech impediment. That was his response to God when God called him to be a mighty prophet and mouthpiece, having one of the greatest callings of anybody that God has ever raised up before. Powerful. God wants to bring us beyond any limitations that we have. The only limitations that we're going to have in being used by God for his purposes is what lies in between this ear and this ear, these strongholds of the mind that keep us that keep us bound. I just, what I want to do is help us break those things. Jesus has already give us, given us that freedom. His deliverance is free. But we've got to realize his deliverance is not just how we feel, right? It's not just so that we don't have those feelings. 
Guys, listen to me carefully. A lot of times we're going to feel fear, but we still cross the threshold of faith, right? We still have to take a step. And when we step past the threshold of whatever it is that God is calling us to, that's where fear is broken. Fear is not something that you just never deal with. Doubt is not something that you never deal with. It's something that you walk past. It's something that you step over. It's trying to hinder us. It's trying to keep us back. It's, it's there in our lives, but we've got to step past it. We passed, we step past the threshold of our fear and it will manifest again. This is why I've always said doubt is an experience, but unbelief is a practice. Doubt is the thing that's the hindrance in many of our lives that manifests in many different ways. But unbelief is the practice that says, because of that, I am going to stay where I am. And until God removes that, I will stay here. That is not the walk of faith. The walk of faith is to acknowledge the restrictions naturally that are set up, but also to acknowledge a higher truth that God will give me the power to overcome what I face so that I can serve and worship and glorify him, that I could bring him fruit that remains, that I partner my faith with his word. And he's the one that gave me faith to begin with. God gives us a promise. He gives us a truth. And then he gives us faith so that we can accomplish what he says. But he allows those choices in our hands. And here's what I believe, that as we feel like we're held back, we're bound, and we're restricted, no more. Let's ask the Lord for a new freedom today. As we see that they brought down the walls of Jericho, let's bring down the walls that we have that are keeping us from ministering to our neighborhood, our workplace, and our world, and maybe even our family. You know, I go through seasons where I'm sharing the gospel and sharing my testimony all the time. I go through seasons where I'm just moving through life from point A to point B. And here's the deal. We're preaching to ourselves. We go through ups and we go through downs. The reason we have the word of God is not just to get smart, although I don't want you to be ignorant, but it's so that we can see what God has given us. We can see who he is, what he's done, and what he says, so that we can believe him in our generation and see him move powerfully. This is what we desire. We desire for the walls of Jericho in our world to come down, that we could fully inherit the promises of God for us and for our children. So that's what I want to believe for today. Before I close and, and jump into prayer, I want to remind you tonight, 7 p.m., we have our Ignite Gathering. You can go on nwcfoursquare.org, or you can go to our Facebook page, Northwest Church, and I'm going to be starting a series called Evangelism is for Everyone. I know how people don't want to, you know, hey, that's probably not for me. It is literally for everyone. Do you like my sermon series? They are titled exactly what I mean. Evangelism for everyone. Tonight, we're just going to talk about the motivation of evangelism. I'm going to share my heart on it. And then we're just going to go from several weeks on motivation, the message. I want to clarify the gospel message. That's probably next, next week. Then I'm going to talk to you about how to lead people to Christ. I'm even going to share with you about power evangelism, how to minister in the power to reach people. And I'm going to talk to you about practical evangelism. This is for everybody. You're going to find something useful, important, valuable, no matter who you are, whether you're introvert, extrovert. I'm not going to highlight extroverts and miss the introverts. doesn't matter our personality type. You will find that I will say things that matter for all of us. And we can be a part of God's plan. We can be a part of God's plan. Would you join us tonight? at 7 p.m. at Northwest Church. And this is through our online service for evangelism for everyone, night one. This is gonna be a great, great time in the presence of the Lord as we worship and as we learn together. Let's go ahead and pray. Let's pray for deliverance. If you need that deliverance over you today, whatever it might be, if you know what the shackles are, tell the Lord today, I not only want your freedom, but I want your wisdom to stay free. Lord, would you help me to take a step? You don't need to be 10 years in the future, but what is the step that God has us to take today? That's what we want to sit with today as we pray. So Father, we do thank you today as your people. We want to enter in fully to the promises that you have for us. As we read Joshua 4 to 6 today, we acknowledge that these, these were people. These were people who had a powerful God and you gave them promises. You told them what to do. They, get, they were received a battle plan and that battle plan and that future that future faithfulness, that fruitfulness, it was built upon the memorial of you delivering them from slavery, 
you bring in them through the wilderness, you bring in them again through the Jordan River. Memorial after memorial was built up to show how powerful and how great you are. Lord, we pray that you would give us the fear of the Lord, that we truly have would have a reverence and an awe and a wonder for you. The things that you do in our lives, I pray that you would refresh that in us. Would you refresh us today to be reminded of who you are in the midst of where we stand? That God, no matter what we're facing, we can bring the strongholds down. And we ask, Lord, no matter how thick these things are, no, ma no matter how strong these holds are, whether they be personal, whether they be societal, whatever they are, Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would break the shackles over us today. I pray deliverance over every person that is watching this. We actually ask that you would do what we read about today, that you would bring these strongholds down in our lives, these mental strongholds, these habits and these patterns, these cycles, these ways of thinking, that they would be no more. And Lord, I pray and we commit to learning the way of wisdom, that we would not only just seek your freedom, but we would learn to stay free by, ke by keeping the wisdom that you give to us as your children. I thank you for everybody that's tuning in. Lord, would you, would you reproduce your freedom that we read about right here and right now? Bless everyone. And as, as we join our hearts together, we acknowledge, Lord, that we often can allow the restrictions and the limitations naturally just to hinder us from what you have. I pray, God, for fresh faith. I pray that faith would enter into our hearts at a whole new level. God, would you give us another level of faith, just an increase for us to believe you and to step over the threshold of fear and doubt and anxiety, those things that face us and try to be a voice telling us what we can and we cannot do. Our personality profiles try to tell us what we can and we cannot do. And we acknowledge today as your people that nothing, nothing is above your word. Your word takes precedence over anything else that we know, anything else that we have heard. We thank you, Lord, that we have all these tools in life to understand ourselves better, to get to know the place of life that we are. We appreciate the, the past struggles that many of us have walked through, some of us even facing right now. But God, we just acknowledge that your word is above it all. And if that's not true, Lord, we start there today. Make that true in our lives. It does not mean that we avoid the things that we face. It means that we tackle the things that we face with the truth of your word. We war with your word until your word and its fulfillment becomes our reality. Give us that kind of faith today. We look to you now and we receive from your hand and from your heart today in Jesus' mighty name. And God's people said, amen.